The direct participation of the FBI, the uh, Homeland Security Department, uh, the uh, CIA, the uh, Department of State uh, uh, operations, supposedly to protect America from foreign influence, obviously hasn't worked because foreign influence, let's say, is pretty open in its participation in U.S. politics. The last election showed that very, very clearly here in New York City. In fact, there are, there are so many examples of it. You could see different governments uh, taking part and organizing citizens from those countries, you know, with direct participation and, and, and throwing support behind one uh, particular political candidate or another. And uh, it, it was open. It's there. It's, it's, it's up for discussion. It's not hidden. It is a real topic. It really happened. But yet, when you think about it and you listen about it and, and you, you, know, you ask the Federal Bureau of Investigation, hey, are you going to dig into this? Are you going to investigate into any of this? They don't really care. But the reality is it did happen. It is there. And uh, people should know about it. And uh, regardless of which country, whether it's a, it's a country you are friendly with or not, they're not supposed to be doing that. China is probably one of the best-known countries that, that has been doing that. They've been very active in the last political exercise here in 2022, uh, whether it's uh, providing financing, support, or uh, other efforts for different candidates, whether they are Republican or Democrat. It is something that, is, that has happened. And uh, it's, it's pretty clear, pretty easy to see, whether it's loans to relatives, uh, other things, means of support, they've been able to do that. And through that, carry out influence for the politicians those people support. So sort of indirect, they went through that whole China gate crisis back in the day. They've learned their lesson and they found other ways of doing it. And usually it's through NGOs and organizations that, uh, that they support. And mostly it's been going for the Democrats. Let's face it. Chinese like the Democratic Party, particularly in states like New York and California, where they throw a heck of a lot of money behind it. But don't think that it's only the Democrats. Mitch McConnell's father-in-law uh, has gotten huge amounts of loans from banks in China, particularly for his shipping company, which is a massive concern. And it does a lot of trade with the United States. Now, some people may say, well, you know... Uh, his daughter is the former trade secretary, uh, Chow, so maybe they were trying to curry favor with her. We don't know. It's hard to say. But whatever it is, that was financial support to a direct relative of a sitting senator. Was it declared? Was it known? Yes, pretty much. It's out there. A lot of people know about it. But the reality is, again, it's questionable. Now, both Chinas were involved in this, both Taiwan and the People's Republic of China. So the Republic of China, Democratic China, which is on Taiwan, and of course, the other side, which is still Communist China. The Vatican particularly gets involved in politics as well. And it is a country, and it gets involved in their own little ways, whether it's not wanting to sit down and talk with one particular political group and willing to talk to another. See, that's a clear sign of it. Uh, the Philippines is a classic example. Uh, there were so many invitations for uh, the uh, consulate to discuss and sit down with Cara Castronova, to talk to uh, 
uh, people like, uh, you, you know, the different political groups that were running in the areas where there's a lot of Filipino Americans. They never showed up if it, was, if it was the Republicans. That's plain and simple. I know because I helped make some of those invitations. And they were absolutely and totally refused. Why? Because they were openly supporting another candidate. You know, uh, I've printed out the entire Facebook conversations between me and the various Filipino officials who were involved in this violation of U.S. law as far as, uh, you know, the, uh, the uh, Obama doctrine on uh, influence and participation. And, you know, I've submitted it to retired federal agents. And uh, it's been pretty clear. It's been happening. And they have been showing support. Now, is the New York Times going to write a major story about this or the New York Post or, or any of these other groups? Probably not because in the grand scheme of it all, what the Philippines did is just basically organize different people to throw some support and maybe throw some donations towards one particular candidate in New York City's uh, one district where a Filipino-American was running. The funny part there is the guy nearly lost. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, he was running against a kid who basically ride around in this campaign on a bicycle. And this guy was pulling out his hair trying to figure out, well, he's bald now. But, no, he was bald before that. But but he was, you know, running around trying to do whatever he could to, you know, win. And he barely made it. I mean, it was something like... 2,300 votes or something like 4,000 votes or whatever, you know, less than that probably. Who knows? But it was a tiny level of victory. And yet he had the whole support of, of uh, you know, his political party, government, and all these things. And, and he was pulling for so many other candidates. And the reason he almost lost was because he was such an unpopular position. And it's such an extremely corrupt district. And you know what? Hey, you know, the guy went one. He's there now. He's a public servant. Well, he's not serving the public. He's just sitting around waiting for his next big contract or whatever gig and hoping that he can replace AOC. That's his ultimate goal. Maybe he will. Maybe he won't. Will it matter? I don't know. But basically, I think a lot of people ought to know that that was one of the influence operations that I personally saw, even with my limited vision. Is it illegal? borderline is it immoral possibly but you have to look at all this and, and see it directly you know now in the whole context of things the french do the same thing the canadians to a certain extent do the same thing the uh the uh mexican government does the same thing in in los angeles particularly with mexican-american candidates run they hold candidate forums they bring out in nearly all cases, those governments pick candidates from both sides to represent and show uh, when they have events to say that, hey, you know, we're not we're not just siding with the Republicans. We're you know, we're going to listen to the Democrats or the other way around. You know, unfortunately, the ones here, different picture. Eh, that's the way the wall bounces. And that's why some people who engage in political partisanship end up where they end up. You know, bye-bye, see ya, so long. And that's how it goes. Now, let's listen to why exactly this is wrong. 
Now, Senator Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee was talking about this in her speech today on the House floor, uh, December 22nd. When, when, I'm sorry, December 21st, when she was talking about this whole thing. And now we're going to talk about it, and we're going to listen to it, and we're going to look into it and find out exactly what it all means. Is it wrong for foreign governments to be involved in influence operations in the United States? Of course. But we do it, too. We did it in Italy post-World War II to keep the Communist Party of Italy out of power in, 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 in the Italian uh, parliament uh, back, in, back in the days, back in the, I think it was the early 1950s. We've done it in other countries as well. And there's a right, real reason behind it. It was because we didn't want to see the Soviet Union or China take over these countries. We failed in Vietnam. We actually fought a war trying to keep communism out of one particular country. When we found that maybe ideology is not the best tool to be fighting against uh, using military force, but it's better to win in the free marketplace of ideas. And in fact, the United States has generally won in that idea. Uh, China has had to give up a lot of things in the free marketplace of ideas uh, and, and almost copy being a democracy to a certain extent when it comes to economics. But anyway, I digress. Let's listen to Marsha Blackburn and how she talks about how influence operations took place with the FBI acting to influence how Americans thought and acted during the elections. With quorum call. Without objection. Thank you, Madam President. This past weekend, when I was home, and whether I was at church or other activities, I would hear from Tennesseans. And they were just so focused on what we were hearing about the Twitter files. They are very concerned and disturbed about the lengths to which the FBI and other government agencies have gone to to suppress political free speech online. The documents released to date especially give them pause because it shows them what it looks like when the power of big tech and the power of the deep state work together against the American people. Now, most people understand that the government and law enforcement sometimes work with private companies. And when it comes to removing things like material depicting child sexual abuse from their platforms, that's something that tech platforms should be doing. But in this case, they were working together to suppress free speech on behalf of a political narrative, a viewpoint that they held and words they disagreed with. The existence of the FBI's Foreign Influence Task Force is not a secret. The agency created it in 2017 to counteract foreign influence operations targeting the United States. If you don't look too closely, the task force seems like a reasonable response to an emerging threat to our nation's security. But in reality, the entire scheme is predicated on the notion that a threat is whatever the task force deems it to be. 
In a batch of documents and reporting released on Sunday, we learned that in the months leading up to the 2020 election, the task force became frustrated after Twitter employees indicated they hadn't seen much to suggest that foreign countries like Russia were using the platform to spread propaganda. So what did the FBI do? They went on a fishing expedition and pressured decision makers within the company to abandon the notion that this was about national security. To that end, Twitter decided to let the FBI kick the door off the hinges and widen the scope of their own influence online at the expense of the integrity of the platform. And I say widen this because the FBI, along with the Department of Homeland Security and the intelligence community, had already engaged in a certain amount of mission creep when it came to investigating threats online. Both the FBI and DHS routinely pre-flagged content for moderation and sent the names of accounts directly to the FBI's contacts at Twitter. Several of the accounts sent for review were suspended or shadow banned, yet most of them weren't foreign propaganda at all. They were relatively low engagement accounts tweeting satire and jokes and accounts of citizens. Many of them were owned by regular people who were obviously on the conservative side of the political spectrum. The FBI responded to this reporting by claiming that they often work with private companies to provide information on foreign malign influence attempts. But as we have seen in black and white, most of the moderation requests made by the government didn't fall into that category. Instead, they focused on low follower accounts owned by ordinary Americans who tweeted opinions that the government did not agree with. These revelations prompt our next question. How did an allegedly serious investigation into influence campaigns devolve into a censorship free for all? To find your answer, you have to look all the way back to the 2016 Russian election interference story. These allegations were used as pretext to justify the blatant censorship covered in the Twitter files reporting. In November 2020, the FBI used that pretext to justify flagging so many examples of what they called possible violatable content that Twitter employees were overwhelmed. The story still had steam in 21 when DHS published a brief with their assessment that, and I'm quoting, Russian malign influencers probably will increasingly use U.S. social media platforms that offer more permissive operating environments, end quote. As I said, that is there, the DHS quote. And of course, it was that pretext that led to the most infamous instance of government-driven censorship in recent memory. When Twitter suppressed the New York Post story coverage of Hunter Biden's laptop, 
The platform made it clear they had done so because the story was the product of Russian meddling. Of course, this weekend's reporting revealed that Twitter employees had repeatedly informed the FBI that they had no evidence of significant Russian meddling. Twitter told the FBI repeatedly they had no significant evidence of Russian meddling. But under pressure from the government, they chose to buy into an influence operation that originated much closer to home. The FBI had primed the pump months before the laptop story broke by telling tech CEOs to expect hacking operations targeting people associated with political campaigns. They also planted seeds with elected officials and the media and even hosted a tabletop exercise that mimicked one of those hacking operations. One person they identified as a potential target, Hunter Biden. Yes, it was Hunter Biden. And of course, his property had been in FBI custody since December 2019. So when the Post broke the story, it was easy, easy for Twitter to take the easy way out and run with the FBI narrative rather than relying on evidence proving the story was a real scandal and not something cooked up by a Russian hacker. At this point in the story, it has become crystal clear that there is a much bigger agenda in play. When DHS tried to get away with creating an official disinformation governance board, I almost didn't believe what I was seeing. Here was an official government agency using national security as a pretext to censor political speech that was at odds with the Biden administration's policies. Fortunately, that effort collapsed under scrutiny but they didn't need an official panel of bureaucrats to keep up the pressure on these companies. Back in July 21, I sent a letter to the White House after we discovered that their staff was in regular touch with social media platforms to suppress speech regarding the COVID-19 pandemic. I figured the American people had a right to know what criteria they were using to ask for that level of censorship and what the legal basis for this presumed authority was. Believe it or not, I never got an answer to the letter. And Madam President, I ask that that letter be printed alongside my remarks in the congressional record. Without objection. Thank you, Madam President. The American people aren't going to let this one go. I know Tennesseans are not going to let this go. They have hard evidence that big tech and the deep state have repeatedly suppressed legal speech to control political discourse in this country. These companies cannot be trusted to do what's right, and we as lawmakers can no longer wait for them to regulate themselves. They have proven over the past decade they will not regulate themselves. 
This is why I fought so hard to pass legislation requiring privacy, safety, data security protections for kids and adults. This year, the Kids Online Safety Act and the Open App Markets Act and nationwide privacy legislation have all fallen short of the finish line, which is really disappointing because these are policies that have such strong bipartisan support. And I thank Senator Blumenthal for his partnership on those policies. But I would remind my colleagues that these issues have not gone away and they are not going away. The American people are waiting to see what we do next. Will we give them a toolbox to protect themselves online, to protect their virtual you? Will we give them the ability to control the apps that they choose to put on their iPhone or their Android? Will we pass legislation to make certain that our social media platforms have to establish a duty of care for our children online? We all know that if you give big tech the opportunity, they will censor. We know that. They will suppress speech in order to favor a narrative that they can control. And they're going to keep doing it until we put them all in check. I yield the floor. That's the latest for me from now. I'm Michael New York. You have a great day. We'll have more for you tomorrow.